we never were able to tap into good or affordable capital, I'll call it, VC money, anything. And we had tanks, we had machinery, we had hard assets. And people were still like, ah, don't know. So we pretty much self-funded and bootstrapped pretty much through the first five years. It wasn't until COVID that we actually got a loan that was under 16%. This is Get Shit Done, a podcast that dives into how women entrepreneurs are gaining traction and growing companies that scale generational impact. Each episode is real talk from women founders who have successfully scaled companies. You'll learn what they did to grow, how they did it, and the tools they used to get it done so you can too. To get access to more episodes of Get Shit Done, along with free traction tools, head on over to shegetshitdone.com. Welcome back to the Get Shit Done podcast, friends. I'm your host, Alex Batdorf, aka Chief Get Shit Done Officer. Little twang on it. Today, my guest is my girl, Erica Douglas, a.k.a. Sister Scientist and the founder of MSeed Group. They're the largest Black-owned, exclusive private label manufacturer in the beauty space. Yes, put some respect on that. Y'all, Erica is just Black girl magic. Not only has she scaled this company over the last eight years, they have been profitable since day uno. Here's why this is a big ass deal. Erica is in the manufacturing space and has a 30,000 square foot facility. You know how expensive that is? Yet this queen is still out here prospering and profitability. So here's what you're gonna learn from Erica. How they generated 2,000 leads with zero spend on marketing to how she has now served 200 brands many of which are some of the largest Black-owned beauty brands in retailers like Sephora and Target. Outside of the gyms Erica drops, what really resonated with me in this conversation was how real she got about her funding and financing journey. And I know all of y'all, or a good chunk of y'all, feel that shit. Similar to founders like Whitney Heaton, if you haven't, go back and check out that episode, she grew, Whitney, grew to $10 million in three years and with cash in the bank but still couldn't get financing. Erica went through something very similar and she spills the tea and hell nah, we didn't edit it out because if you're going to scale generational impact as a collective, there needs to be collective accountability. There are so many players in this space claiming to be about founders, but it's really for the optics. All of us got to do the work, including institutions. I call it petty with a purpose, okay? So get ready to get your life and these traction tips with a side of piping hot tea. And thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast. We see you and appreciate you. And if you haven't yet, no need to get FOMO. You can take 10 seconds to rate and review us, even if you ain't happy. Let us know. And if you're looking for everyday support in your scaling journey, head on over to shegetshitdone.com slash join, where you can get weekly support and growing on your own terms. Without further ado, Queen Erica Douglas. Erica, welcome to Get Shit Done. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> we just had a little kiki before we started um, kicking off, just talking about 
how exhausting this week has been, how a lot of things have gone wrong, but we are here and it is a Friday and it's 5.30 for her because she's in Chicago, 6.30 for me, I'm in New York. Um, and we're here because we care about y'all. You see, we made time, we made time. But sometimes you have to get shit done on a Friday night. That's right, on a Friday night. This is it, this is it, this is my happy hour. Well, <laughs> Erica, I am so excited for you to be here um, just because I know so many founders are gonna learn from you. Um, and your experiences, especially the fact that what you you now have the largest manufacturer in beauty that's black owned, right? A black woman owned exclusively contract private label. Um, I, I still need to fact check that, but every time I I come into contact with a client, and especially like bigger customers, they're like, "Yeah, you're the only one that actually could do what we need you to do." And I'm like, "Oh wow, okay." This so is a fact. Um, so I was like, that means, I guess we, we are on the map and that's amazing because it just tells me how far we've come. Yes. Um, receipts, you know, receipts are, are what create facts. So I think, I think it checks out, you know what I'm saying? Um, well, I love to kick off the podcast, um, even though we're going to get into all the dope things you've done and how you did it, but I like to do a quick check-in. So based on where you're at in the business in this moment, because it could change in an hour. What would that one word, how would you describe it in one word, how you're feeling in the business right now? Um, honestly, overwhelmed. Um, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, because we are, we are very much in a transition um, phase of, we just bought a new 30,000 square foot facility um we you know this is like our first few months in the facility trying to get things trying to get shit done uh trying to learn new processes build new tanks and just all of the things that come with scaling a company are definitely hitting me hard right now um and it's just been nonstop most of this year because of that transition so as we were like kicking before uh being in december after you know closing on this building in in like early january construction all the things that went into building this place i think i'm at a point where i'm like oh my goodness like we're here and now it's like how do we keep the lines running how do we build you know upward and onward and it's just all hitting me like it was a great idea but now it's like all really hitting me and so I am trying to find space to really figure out what it takes to operate at this level because what we did to get here is not the same things that we uh, will need to do to sustain and to grow to the next level and so sorting all of that out has definitely been um, a lot. <laughs> Well, first of all, congratulations on all that you've done this year. That's amazing. No wonder why you're overwhelmed and exhausted. That's why I got these fake curtains up because we literally bland because like literally I just, you know, we moved in just a few months ago and it's just been balls to the walls. I, I love it. And I appreciate that. It's, this is our fourth interview today. We have had to reschedule a few interviews because people were sick this month and it just got stacked today with multiple people and everyone's on like, it's been cautious, overwhelmed, anxious, like, and also I think this time, not even just this time of year, 
this moment in time is a lot. It is a lot happening. So I totally feel you. We're hearing that a lot from our founders. So for our founders tuning in, you're not going to hear this until like January, February of 2023. But if you were feeling like this in December of 2022, you were not alone. <laughs> you were not alone. Honest, I was a little, I won't say nervous. I don't think nervous is the word, but um, I was like, man, this, this interview, this, this podcast is coming at not the best time for me. Like it was one of those, ah, I wish I could do it when I was feeling a little better, a little more secure, a little more grounded. But to be very honest, I was like, I finally come to the conclusion, like, hopefully I will hear this a year, two years from now and use this as a benchmark of, oh, wow, we, we way past that now. And just to use this as a barometer of how far we've come. So I was like, let me just put my shit out there and, <laughs> and let the people know what it really is. Um, so that hopefully I'll be, you know, on your show another, you know, two, three years from now saying like, oh, that's so yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> You know what I appreciate about that, because something we've been talking a lot with our tribe about is so often women are robbed of opportunities, you know, outside of the fact that there's patriarchy and white supremacy, that's for sure. Um, but sometimes we rob ourselves because we do this song and dance in terms of how we're socialized of waiting until it's perfect or when we think we're ready. So like a couple of days ago, I was talking to one of our founders and you know, we were gonna make an intro for her to, to something and she was like, oh, I'll wait till I'm ready. And I'm like, tell me what's ready. Tell yeah. me what's ready. Because by the time you think you're ready, you could have gotten support, you know, so, or just gotten it out there. So I love the fact that you still showed up even though you were like, oh, I don't feel ready, but you know what? I'm gonna give myself grace and do this because you're already doing the damn thing. So that's awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> okay. So overwhelmed, but you're still here showing up, doing the work. So before, again, before we hop into all the cool things that you've, you're doing now, I want to take it back a little bit and give a little context, because I think that's really important for when we look at other people's entrepreneurial journeys, there's no one size fits all. Certain people get to certain places by a certain rate or by a certain time because of what happened before that, all the work they did. And I think we discount that. And then we have like shouting matches to be like, well, why am I not there? And it's like, well, this person has done X, Y, and Z, right? So what were you doing before you started this business? What led you here? Uh, so, so I've been in the beauty industry for well over 15 years now. Wow, I am old. Uh, <laughs> you are seasoned. But yes, I'm mature. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I got my start literally in an internship uh, in college um, and that kind of opened the door to like the fact there was a thing called cosmetic science. Uh, I majored in chemical engineering at Stanford and I was on like a pharma path and that was really boring for me. Uh, and then I stumbled across this field of cosmetic chemistry and fell in love essentially. And so I worked um, for almost 10 years at a company called ORS. Uh, people know them as you know, the olive oil brand and worked my way up to director of research and development before I was 30. Um, and then at that point, uh, I realized the, the company had been acquired and I realized that my passion was really in uh, 
the entrepreneurial side of building Black-owned, women-owned brands in the space. And so uh, took that experience uh, and said that I was going to throw my network and my experience and, you know, my expertise uh, behind other, you know, women who were trying to build their company. So when, you know, circa 2000. 11, 10, 2010, 2011, you heard about all these kind of really great natural hair businesses that were trying to scale. And at the time I was still at ORS, but one of the biggest things was they weren't able to find uh, uh, manufacturers that wanted to partner with them because they were too small, right? But these were the the women and the people who were most passionate about natural hair and producing quality products and really educated about what we were putting in our hair, how to, you know, define your curls, all the things, but they were the ones not getting those opportunities because the gatekeepers did not look like them and could not really understand that they had a lot of potential. And because those gatekeepers were kind of keeping them out, uh, bigger companies were just kind of, you know, throwing their money behind products to get ahead in the market. But I felt like, you know, these up and coming brands needed uh, partners who could help them to scale to the next level. So if they're cooking up these products in their in their kitchen or in their garage or whatever, when Target calls and they say, hey, we want to give you a chance, you know, you can't be mixing stuff in your basement when Target calls. And so the the issue was that a lot of those brands were not finding the partners they needed to scale. And so because I kept hearing those conversations and hearing um, kind of the, the, the roadblocks that they were fighting, that's when I said, okay, I can't. <laughs> I, I was like, well, it seems like these contract manufacturers really putting their resources behind them. I need to find somebody who can help them. And then it just kind of all hit me at once where I was like, wait, am I the person? And, and it dawned on me when one of my uh, manufacturers that I worked with in, in my other life, I tried to make introductions and essentially none of them panned out. And I said, hey, why are you not? I'm trying to send you some people who I think have a real chance. And literally the, the comment was, yeah, I mean, they're nice and all, but they want to make a thousand, two thousand units. I don't turn on the lights for a thousand units. And I was like, well, where do these people go? Because they don't have the money to make 50,000 units or to meet your minimums of 20,000 units, but they deserve a chance. And that's when it was kind of like the aha moment for me that there weren't a lot of places that were focused on building smaller brands to get to the next space. And so I left my good, good job. <laughs> that good paying job that yeah. your mama's always like, what did my mom say? Like when I said I was going to become an entrepreneur, oh, we need more black doctors and lawyers. I'm just like, can you have faith in me? And for me, it was one of the moments where you realize, man, somebody needs to fix this problem. And then you're like looking around and you're like, oh shit, it's me. <laughs> and I'm pointing at me, right? <laughs> I'm the one who knows, you know, kind of all of the ins and outs of what needs to happen. And for me, it was like a no-brainer because if I was tired of seeing black brand, black-owned brands 
getting squeezed out of the conversation due to lack of resources, lack of capital, and just lack of industry knowledge. And I was like, if I can build a place where they can come and not only get quality products, be able to scale their products, and also tap into our consulting marketing services um, to help them not just put goop in a bottle and get it on a shelf, but how can we help you to scale your brand strategically um, and help you to avoid some of the pitfalls in this industry that means we can get more black owned more women owned brands to the shelf and you know people always ask me why didn't you just start your own brand and you know yeah like i could have started one brand and that's great and i another black owned brand on the shelf but the real agent of change is being able to change out the gatekeepers that are keeping more of us from getting to the shelf and that requires somebody to be on this side of the supply chain on this side of the lab bench as I like to say helping to push those people through you know a a register you know um <clears throat> technical manufacturing process that allows them to have quality affordable products so that they can scale just like any other you know Unilever Procter and Gamble, any of those brands, and be able to put their products right on the shelf next to those, and be you know just as good and high quality as those brands. I love this because it resonates so much. I didn't think there would be um, the crossover here, but <laughs> you know, with get shit done, a big reason why I started is after scaling my first two companies in Chicago, and just realizing I'm like, wow, why am I not seeing women in these rooms that I'm in? when we're starting companies at a higher rate, especially black women, and then realizing where their revenues were at. It was, I mean, 90% of women entrepreneurs are earning under six figures a year. And a lot of times when it came to these quote unquote growth resources, there were these, oh, we, we help with early stage, but early stage was like 10,000 MRR. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, well, you already left 90% out of the conversation. And so when it comes to financing, when it comes to all these things, and I'm like, well, first and foremost, like we can't make business models revolve around funding. It needs to be the business. And let's make sure we put them in a position where we can connect them with the right resources, but we need to help them get to that place where they have that optionality, but they're being blocked out of the market because they haven't had the modeling of what it looks like to get to that level. They haven't had access to the resources and where the access is, they are pushed out of those markets or those opportunities because they don't look a certain way. They don't have those networks, so on and so forth. So I love that you're doing that within beauty because that is a huge, I mean, especially with capital intensive companies, most of these people have to go and try to tap their parents. And this is why you see more, you know, white beauty brands being able to do it because mom and dad can go take out a, you know, line of equity on their home. Where it's like in most color, like people of color, our families, that's not an option for us because of history, <laughs> you know? Glossier, the brand, the beauty brand Glossier is like a great example. You know, she was a blogger who went to daddy. Who yes. And got my, it was like, oh, and it was like a small, you know, I don't remember. That's her, her, but, her network. Yes. And it was like, oh, we just raised a small 3 million from an idea. Like, <laughs> are you serious? Yes. We were doing seven figures in our second year and still couldn't get a bank loan or a line of credit. Girl. Or like, I mean, literally it, 
we had we never were able to tap into good or affordable capital i'll call it vc money anything and we had tanks we had machinery we had hard assets and people were still like ah, don't know so we pretty much self-funded and bootstrapped pretty much through the first five years it wasn't until covid that we actually got a loan that was under 16 percent that's insane. And it's just like the the exhaustion and why I'm constantly clapping back in this space is there's so much performance, especially on the side of these funding institutions, whether it's venture capital funds, whether it's banks, banks for sure are bullshitters. Like all these people are, are trying to say, oh, we are here for you. We want to support you. But I'm just like, where are the receipts? I don't mm -hmm. see the receipts. And you put that... <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Something was in my It is. It's bullshit. And it's just like my thing is it's not enough for me to see that one black or brown person you put in your marketing materials oh, on your website. Like let me show me the receipts. If I don't see the receipts, I don't care. What you're saying is irrelevant I to me. See your community development and mm -hmm. Capital to this community and that community with your workshops, and I was like, I so I I probably shouldn't say this, but I am because I ain't got no filter. Bring the um, smoke, let's go. <laughs> I went to a workshop that was sponsored by Chase, and they were over here talking about, oh, here are the thing we're gonna give you the tools, and this is what you do, and and I was thinking like Chase is my primary bank, and I know we brought through at least eight figures at this point through your bank <laughs> like in five years like let's um let you know like I'm gonna challenge you on that and then it was always like oh well you should have and you could have and you shouldn't uh, you should have how would should have what that's your job your job is to support your customers literally said all the things that you were telling us to do I have done with no results and then I said, so are you, I want you to walk me into a bank and make it happen. Cause I don't believe you. I'm calling your, I'm calling your bluff. And, um, they're, and they were also had like a section on predatory lending. And I was like, and these were the, what are they called? Uh, on deck and cabbage and all the, you know, high interest rate loans. And I, I understood the concept, but I was like, but they're the only ones who have given me money. So while you're out here telling me not to play with them, you won't play with me. And, you know, and yes, I took a hit, but it was the only thing keeping my business afloat and running because I was taking lines of credit from Cabbage for literally 22%. And yes, I was, I had the financial, you know, I guess financially, I understood the need to pay it back on time and try to pay it off early. And because I had kind of the, the, the right acumen, yes, I did better than probably most. So I can see why predatory lending could be a problem in, in our community. But at the same time, as a Black woman building a manufacturing company that had to buy inventory and sometimes had 60, 90 day terms on, on you know, inventory we were shipping out, uh, it was it was extremely difficult. And the only thing that got me through were the cabbages and the on decks. And I truly resented many of those institutions like Chase who were telling me how much they were going to help. But I had checked, I checked all the boxes and, and 
it didn't matter until it was all of a sudden COVID, George Floyd. And now they're coming back to me like, are you still a black woman? Because we need to check boxes. Ooh. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I am. Nothing's changed over here, but now you're going to give me better rates. And now you're going to, you want Period. to give me rates? Let's play. Let's play. <laughs> because now you need yes. to check boxes. And now I'm the only one who can check all those boxes. But, you know, three, four years ago, you wasn't feeling me and nothing changed. So what happened? And, you know, and I hate that we had to go through what, you know, 2020 as, as a whole year and a whole, you know, everything that happened in 2020. But it was the only thing that got these institutions to open up their they wallets to me. And thankfully, that is what has allowed us to scale so quickly in the last two years, but we were doing the same numbers three, four years before that. Ah, oh, you speak my language of clapback. I am here for it. Um, yes, the bullshit's real. And my thing is like, ain't nobody gonna code switch or change up their tune because of these institutions. At the end of the day, like, again, I wanna see the receipts. I wanna see the paper trail. And what's infuriating, like we did um, a like, uh we do this get shit done deals which i'm actually me and my team questioning if i want to do this to to support these institutions anymore because for us it was about connecting founders with funders and the last one we sent out 90 percent of it was women of color and of that like the majority were black women some of the best numbers we've ever seen of our deals come in like revenue producing doing well kicking ass better than a lot of other things i see at the table these founders that are like oh, well, we have a pilot or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They got money, shmoney happening. And y'all saying, when you're going to these stupid panels, you want, you want to see them have traction. But even when they have the traction, you still make it hard for them. And this is the, this is the thing I tell our founders all the time. The fact of the matter is, the, the reality is that we still have to work harder. Oh, and the, the shit that pisses me off is when these institutions then want to come to you. It's like, I call it fuck boy, fuck girl syndrome. A lot of these in uh, institutions are like fuck boys and fuck girls because what they do is they want to keep one foot in the door and see until you're really hot. And then when you get really hot and when they need you, oh, now they're saying, oh, baby, please let me help you. And I'm like, I got all these options now. What are you doing? I have literally had four major institutions come through here after they're like, wait, that's you building that building over there? Oh, we, we, how did we miss you? You didn't. I've been in your office multiple times. Ugh. Now they're like, oh, well, maybe we could look into, no, because the one bank that gave me a chance beat you to it. I'm not, back then you didn't want me, now I'm hot, you all on me. I ain't, Bags. Trying, <laughs> I ain't trying to hear it. So now I'm like, yeah, you better come through with, I mean, double digit reductions in these rates. Like, no. Facts. Because I... It just it just baffles me how how the the double standard and I admittedly went into this venture uh, maybe a little naive because my theory going in having um, a chemical engineering background having an MBA from Northwestern having a very healthy network like I thought you know what the reason a lot of people don't get funded is because they don't have hard assets having a manufacturing company producing goods, we're immediately getting paid. I can show the, the revenue and how we're gonna make money and how these assets are gonna produce revenue. 
this will be an easier sell for me than some of the brands and some of the people who are just have like ideas. No, I have gotten offered more money to sell Sister Scientist, which is like my blog, than to sell Emseed, which is a manufacturing company producing seven figures year over the year for the last seven years. <laughs> and that's, and I was like, this is a concept. This is, you know, but but this is what it has taught me. Content is king and that's what people are paying for. And I'm like, I'm over here literally producing the goods that people are just talking about, but they're willing to put more money here from a, from a VC perspective. Then I go to the banks and I'm like, hey, look, we've been profitable all eight years we've been in business, which is very rare for most manufacturing. If you look at the stats in manufacturing, most manufacturers lose money the first five years before they ever turn a profit. So I went in with the story of, look, we have a great business margin uh, model. Our margins are you know, close to 30%, which is very high for a manufacturing company, like all these things. And literally what came back to me was like, oh yeah, it would be great. It's just that you personally are not worth enough money for us to back this. I said, what that got to do? What does my personal bank account have to do with this company when my business has, I've already proven my business model year over year over year. I clearly have the acumen and the pedigree what does it matter if, you know, personally, I've not acquired enough wealth to cover the entire thing? Because, you know, I would be a personal guarantor. And I was like, and how are other people doing this? Because I know for a fact that some of these people don't, are coming in with nothing. And so I did a little test. I had an advisor who was Jewish and he couldn't understand, oh, your numbers are great. I don't understand how you can't get alone how you can't get this how you can't get that I said okay here you go here's the deck go go run the numbers go to your network he had all these people who came back and said oh we could definitely do this this is easy no problem and then when he said okay well it's not actually for me it's going to be for this young lady over here and then my chocolate face comes in all of a sudden all the questions get asked that were never asked before when they thought it was him yep he literally said, I've never been asked these things in my entire 45 years in this business. And I said, this is what it's like to be a black woman. And he like, and it was him baffling. Cause he was like, I get it now all up until now. He had never, he didn't understand. He said, Oh, I mean, I hear about it, but you know, is it really that bad? And, and now he, he knows that it is. And we had a, a talk and he, you know, did his best to put his resources behind it. But at the end of the day, it all came back to, ah, oh, this is going to be hard for us to do. And, but all of those no's came after they realized who they were, you know, who the money was really for. And then after that, I kind of just was like, you know what, fuck this. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm going to continue to turn profits, reinvest in the building and in, in the business and keep growing it on my own. I love this because this is a huge reason why I get shit done exists when you have optionality, when you can control your own destiny, mind you, that doesn't exclude the fact that you need support along the way. And that's not always in the form of institutional capital. It can be in the form of different things. So with that said, like you, you already hinted at this, you have been profitable since you've been in business, you have already produced, I mean, in the millions, how in the hell? 
because I know there's going to be people listening right now. You are in a very capital intensive space. You're in manufacturing. Like there's all these people that want money for tech. And I'm like, honey, you could do a lot of this stuff with very low cost. You don't need all that capital. Like there's so much no code, whatever now, but there's just certain industries you can't get around the high cost of entry. Walk us through how in the heck did you get started? (laughs) And then how have you grown this thing to be profitable? Like what are those things you're doing? Because especially we're entering into a space where a lot of founders, I mean, it's one of the worst funding environments that I've seen. A lot of very seasoned investors have seen. And now it's really like you need to focus on what you can control. So you've done that for eight years consistently. Yeah. How? So, yeah. So I don't even know if I've explained what I do. So I apologize. Let's uh, go back. I'm just so enthralled with what she's saying. So I forgot it. I'm not being a good host today. First of all, let's talk about, let's talk about first before we hop into that. Let's talk about MC Group and then Sister Scientist, and then let's go in, go into the how. So yes, yeah, so um, so MC Group is a private label contract manufacturing company that services budding beauty brands, and um, so I like to say that we are the people when you get the money, they go on Shark Tank, they pitch, and they get them to you know I need this money to scale my company, and then we get the call right. Um, and essentially our focus is on, uh, product innovation, uh, and formulation, scaling brands from doing 500 units, a thousand units to 50,000 plus, and, um, and then also offering services from a, a business development standpoint, which I think is what makes us unique as a company where I like to think of us more of as an accelerator versus just a manufacturing company because our clients get to tap into resources and expertise from marketing, how to get your products in retail, um, you know, branding, communication, all the things we have people who can speak to those things. And so we like to touch our clients' brands from a very 360 holistic perspective to be able to offer advice and services from different perspectives that help them to get to that next level. Um, and Ooh, quick question, who are, who are your customers? Yeah. Who are your target customers for this? You said earlier, it's like they need smaller runs. So if they can't do like 20,000, whatever, but like what, what size companies is that usually? Well, when we started off, we were targeting people who literally just had ideas and just needed to get a few hundred units made. Right. And I think our one of our competitive advantages is that we do we offer customized services and formulations for small brands. A lot of people have great ideas, but they don't want stock prepackaged product that they just slap their label on. But we actually can go in and formulate from scratch and give them exactly the type of product that they're looking for and really create true different, differentiation from other brands at a small scale. And so you say, hey, uh, you know, Alex has an idea for these beautiful curls that you have, and I wanna make this type of formulation. Well, maybe that doesn't exist, but we will go in the lab, formulate it, and maybe you can only afford a run of 500, 1,000 units. We will do that. And then we will help you to figure out ways to turn those 500 units into enough profit to then invest in 2,500 units and then how you turn that and get traction 
and, and, and visibility and demand so that you now can do a 5,000 unit run. And for us, it's all about how to take the brand from you know, an e-commerce platform, I'm just starting out to I'm now a brand that could sit on a shelf if I wanted to. Um, and so uh, figuring out how to help those brands scale efficiently and cost effectively is really like our, our core business. Um, thanks so a lot of those brands that started with us at 500 units are now, you know, on huge. Target and Walmart doing 50,000, 100,000. Yes. Now they are some of the fastest growing brands in the natural hair and skincare uh, aisles. And so, you know, being able to walk down a Target aisle and be like, oh, we made that. Oh, we made that. Oh, yeah, we work with them too is bring so much pride to not just me but my entire team because they they see these these brands that we touch these bottles every day knowing who's behind them and there's a sense of pride knowing that we're changing you know how these aisles look and and what the ownership looks like in these aisles because you could not say that 10 years ago you could you know basically go up and down a whole aisle in Target and not find one Black-owned brand. Facts. You know, we've been, um, we've been a big part of that story. And, and that's what this was all about, changing the landscape of those aisles. I love this. And so are you seeing with those brands, because you're saying maybe it started with the 500, some are at 50,000 now. Are you seeing them stay with you all? Like, do you all still have the capacity to keep growing with them? Because obviously really good business models, you're able to retain those people. And it sounds like you're still keeping, you know, keeping hand, keeping ties with them. That's a great question. Um, if I'm being honest, what happened was that a lot of these brands were growing faster than we could scale our manufacturing. And that's largely because we couldn't get access to capital. And so I've had to walk some of my favorite brands and some of the most popular brands in this space right now over to other manufacturers that I had re uh, relationships with because I couldn't do it. And I wasn't going to be the bottleneck for their growth. It sucks. And yes, it, it made me cry. <laughs> and that one, Hell yeah, because I had to give up business, but at the same time, it was like, what am I in this for? I'm in this to help, help more brands grow in this space. Um, and we were a huge stepping stone for them to be able to get to that level. Um, it wasn't until we were able to purchase this facility and, and, and build this out to basically 8x our capacity that now we are able to, you know, keep up with the pace of growth for our brands and for, you know, for the clients and the brands that we service. Um, but, in, you know, before this year, we were having a very difficult time, but that was what this ex expansion was about. This expansion was about, we deserve to um you know, be able to scale to a point where we can now benefit from the fruits of our labor and retain these brands that are doing so well in the, in the marketplace. And so this expansion was needed in order to do that. So now, thankfully, we are in a place to do that. But that was, I mean, we were struggling up through mm. 2021, um, running extremely inefficiently and, and just, um, Sometimes we just had to say, like, we're going to have to take this to another manufacturer. But that's why our sales, our revenue has been pretty flat for, you know, the last 
four or five years because we had plateaued in the space that we had and couldn't really invest in the growth and expansion that we really need to hit the next level. So now that we are finally here, we are, you know, we are putting the pedal to the metal and we're trying to get all the brands and we're like, all the business, because now we can, you know, do very large runs. And now we can keep up with uh, the growth that our, our clients are experiencing. And that's a very exciting time. Uh, It shouldn't have taken long for us to get here, but, you know, based off of, some of the things that we were discussing when it comes to the lack of access to capital is what held us back because we are a capital intensive, you know, business. And, and this was a model that could not scale without having those dollar signs in the bank. Well, first of all, thank you for your candor. Cause I think so often um, there's so much bullshit in this space of people faking it till you make it. Uh, and God bless black women that keep society afloat and because the integrity is there, like the fact that you all, you could have bullshitted your way through and made the problem worse trying to produce at a capacity you couldn't. Instead, you had the integrity to say, you know, what? we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to plateau a little bit. We're going to just stay stagnant for a moment. And we're going to walk our customers over to other manufacturers because we have values and the amount of people that are going to prison right now or losing people a lot of money because they care so much more about getting to a certain number or growth for growth's sake that they lose any term, any sense of reality with ethics and morality and integrity. Like that says a lot. And the beauty of this is like, it shows like sometimes you need to stop for a moment. You might not grow, but when you have that integrity, I guarantee like you all are going to be a rocket ship now because it will get paid back. Even if let's say the people you serve before don't come back, they're going to remember that loyalty. They're going to say, Hey, they took care of me. I'm going to take care of you. Right. We still get recommendations from some of those that. years um that we worked with in our early years uh we were found we founded mc group in 2014 um and some of our first clients are still pushing smaller brands to them who come to them like how how do i start a brand i want to be like you and a lot of times they're like you know they say who recommended them and i'm like see and that brings me that brings me to my next point because you have been able to get like 2000 leads without spending any money, zero dollars on marketing. And so it sounds like this is a big piece of it, like just the way you show up and serve. But can you walk us through what do you think you do well? And maybe are you all operationalizing that word of mouth? Or what is kind of the the way that you all are getting that consistency of consistency and leads um, where you don't have to spend any money on it? So this is that's a great question. and I actually just spoke at, about this at a, a STEM conference. Uh, for me, there's there's something unique that I have to touch on because this is not applicable to every industry or every service. When I started, there were not a lot of Black cosmetic chemists on social media. And that's where the Sister Scientist brand came in. I would say I was one of the first cos- Black female cosmetic chemists on social media, kind of really peeling back the layers of, you know, what's in your product? Is this, you know, the myths and the misnomers that, you know, we're all circulating and really giving people 
scientific based knowledge on what they should be paying attention to versus what's fluff and how to pick the right products for their hair. And so it was building that brand in a niche that, you know, there weren't really a lot of options specifically that looked like me, talked like me and had, was authentically a consumer of this space, not just somebody on the outside looking in saying, oh, I can help you for a few dollars, but that I was about that life. I was living this natural curly head life. I had, you know, and, and could relate to many of the women specifically in the natural hair space who were struggling and, or were looking to start brands and I spoke their language. And so because of that, uh, alignment, it is what kind of grew my platform and so when people started searching, it was an easy search. Like it was like, oh, well, there aren't that many people. She's the only one who's really coming up right now in my Google search. Um, and so that alone really helped to start that pipeline. Um, and then just the validity that I brought from working with one of the biggest at the time black owned brands in the space, um, you know, gave me credibility to other major brands and so being able to acquire those um those brands as clients almost like out the door really helped to solidify our and and kind of validate our business model and from there it was really just being on the speaker circuit uh going to you know the conferences and the the shows and just really being in these streets um speaking you know my my piece and my story and what I was all about that you know really kept you know pushing people through the funnel to the point where we were just like okay this is too many people yes. and granted, you know at you know we have a certain capacity and in, you know we've been blessed to be able to be operating at really full capacity for some years now because we were stagnant in how we could scale physically scale our our, our business because it is a very I can only fit so many tanks in 10,000 square feet I can only fit so many you know production lines in 10,000 square feet and so we were limited by that for some years um, and a lot of times we had to put a lot of our leads on you know hold because we were just like we want to work with you but we can't but you know the the expansion that we just went through is allowing us to open up that funnel. And for me, it was just being visible, being accessible, and being authentic. And 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 also telling people when I can't help you, who let me help you find the people or another organization that can help you. And people remember that. And so to your earlier point, what we've seen is that a lot of people ended up coming back. Like we tried over here and it didn't work. So, you know, we're back now that, you know, do you have a, yep. so, you know, it's being really authentic, having ethics and, and just really, I think living in your truth. And I think that has, for whatever reason, I've been able to effectively communicate that on my platforms. And that's literally what has been fueling our, our pipeline. Um, and then also referrals because there just aren't that many people who do what we do so when those larger manufacturers when we start taking clients over to them they start pushing the smaller people that they didn't want to deal with back to us and so that also those relationships and that network has also been 
fueling our pipelines as well. So mm. um, me, I'm all about getting the right type of customer where there's alignment um, because every, you know, everybody isn't for you and you have to, yes. years I have learned how to, and me and my team have really learned to understand, okay, this is the, the perfect type of profile for the type of client customer we're looking for and knowing how to hone in on that and then advise people who don't kind of fit that where to go or what they need to do to get there and focusing in on what like the the parameters or the attributes that really make an ideal client for us and really focusing on that maybe you know smaller uh group of people is what allows us to really make good bets on the brands that are really going that have what it takes and are going to be in good alignment with our infrastructure and our business model to take them to the next level Um, I love that like honing in on it's like honing in on that bullseye and you know trying to blur out the the other distractions because all business ain't good business say that and let me tell you there I've been I'm like, honey, I will give you your money back. I'm not playing. Like, and we have, we've, we've had to be like, you know what? Just go ahead, take this back. So sorry. You, you're probably better aligned with another company, and it sucks, especially when you're starving for for cash flow, and you know, have and 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 lack of resources when it comes to access to lines of credit and things that you know could help us keep the business afloat. But I also recognize that when you have a bad relationship or when you're not in alignment with a a client that can rock the boat even more and be even more costly and so so that's where you just have to really lean on faith and just say you know what this no is going to better serve us than any yes would for this person So I love what you said, because today we interviewed Bianca Tylek, who's the founder of Worth Rises, and she does a lot of work in the, um, the, the justice space for the incarcerated. So making sure that communities of color are getting access to being able to call home to families. They've passed a lot of bills. And we talked a lot about this capitalistic structure and, you know, growth for growth's sake. And she was just like, Look, like one of the biggest things that, you know, especially startups can learn from nonprofits, because she has, you know, a multi-million dollar nonprofit. She's just like, don't be greedy. <laughs> and mind you, there are nonprofits that are greedy that, that exist, but don't be greedy. And everything you just said that echoed to me from our conversation with her today, because in this process, you have kept your integrity. You were not greedy. You were patient. And that goes against and defies so much in the startup space that says saturate for saturation's sake and grow by any means necessary. And then the wake of shit that is literally in front of us that has not only hurt just those companies, but the ecosystem. And the fact that you grew this way is so telling. And I I, I want this to be the model of entrepreneurship and scaling with intention, because when we say scale generational impact, this is to me what it looks like. It's like, you have to come from it with honesty, integrity, and you have to be about more than just, we're gonna give back to our shareholders. That's actually a really, honestly, to me, a a shitty way to run a company. Cause it's like, all you care about is 
the people who invest in this business? What about your customers? Facts. And, but honestly, I was going after VCs. I went after all the VCs right in the beginning, but honestly, looking back at it in hindsight, had I done that, I probably wouldn't have been able to do to scale the way that I've been scaling. Right. And you're profitable. I would have been so beholden to, we have to make a number. We have to, you know, make our, our shareholders uh, whole or, or give them a certain report um, that we were able to just slow down and say, what can we do and really focus on how to refine our practices, our business models, hiring the right people. That's, oh, that's a whole, whole other probably podcast, but, but how to get the right people in positions of leadership to help you get to the next level. Because as I said before, what you do at one level is not the same things will not work to get you to, to allow you to be successful at the next level. And yeah. so it's all about refining and finding ways to be more efficient, more profitable, you know, and, and working with what we had to enhance our story saying, this is, these are, this is what we had and look at what we did with it. Right. Um, but that would have never, you know, that wouldn't have flown with, no. you know, or, or, you know, another high margin backer who's looking for, you know, return or, you know, return in five, two, five years, you know? So um, in hindsight, it may have helped us more than I realized. Wow. So you've, you've talked about this quite a bit around like the profitability piece and also that, you know, I have a, a love-hate relationship to this, you know, the saying, what got you here won't get you there. Um, because I do think there's fundamentals, like the fact that you have had consistent integrity, that's always going to get you there. Always. There's just things that are fundamentally core that should not change um, when it comes to growth. But there are things, activities you're doing that can't get you to that next level. So I would love to for you to walk us through what have you done to be profitable since the beginning? Because so often profitability is seen as an afterthought in the space because again, startups are, are told growth for growth's sake, you'll get to that later. We're just going to burn through cash. And then we're wondering why there's all these failures. Cause it's like, that's not your business model. Your fundraising is not a business. It's not a business model. It's a Ponzi scheme. If that is your only business, the way you're doing business. So what were some of the things that you did to really focus in on profitability to keep self-funding the business on top of some of the like alternative financing vehicles you did. But what were some of those things that other founders can be doing when, when they're growing? Yeah. So one, it was honing in on our niche and offering services that spoke to a need that other people were not speaking to. Um, and so knowing that we had something of a competitive advantage and how we approached our clientele, how we could speak to them and the value that we could offer them being a client here versus another manufacturer was where we said, this is, this is what allows us to charge a little bit more. Right. And then the fact that we are very much in you know, it, this is a, a, a finish, a pro, um, it, it's a, a very hardcore product-based business. 
literally for me, it's all about looking at how do we reduce costs, increase efficiencies while maintaining, you know, good margins. And so in the beginning, yeah, we were barely breaking even <laughs> um, from the manufacturing piece. But then on top of that, we were offering services, social media management, marketing, consulting, uh, helping people to put to their decks together uh, to go present to Target and Sally's, right? And so my business partner, he is um, actually, he's been a brand manager, director of marketing for a number of, of very successful brands in the space. And that's why I brought him in as a partner rather than bringing you know, somebody else who knew more manufacturing and chemistry, right? Because now I'm like, let's tap into this resource or into your expertise to offer additional add-on services. And that allowed us to really ensure that we, you know, were operating in a way that our margins made sense. And so where we could take cuts on being competitive on getting um, and actually manufacturing and producing goods, we could make that up in, in services and making sure that there was a value add there, right? And so um, as we scaled, we were just able to find better ways to reduce, reduce overhead, um, better ways to negotiate on uh, in our supply chain and, and really focusing on how do we make the product better, but at a cheaper cost and, but still at the same price, right? Um, and so really honing in on the, the details of our processes helped us to maintain those margins while also offering these add-on services. And so that together allowed us to be profitable. And that was always kind of our business model. Like, yeah, we could, again, we could put product in a bottle and then say, deuces, good luck, call us when you need to put in another order. But what if we really invested in the clients in a way that got them to put in those new orders faster, then everybody wins, right? Because if we lose, if our clients aren't out there selling and turning product, and what better way to do that than to offer up our services to help them do that. And so then it allows us to see things from a very, a bigger picture and offer very, um, very specialized and customized packages to our clients, because we understand their business from in a way that most manufacturers don't. Mm, I love this. And it also kind of piggyback, piggybacks off of what you were talking about earlier, like that niche and getting really comfortable, like who's the most in alignment? Because one of the mistakes I see founders make so often is they think a lot of times they think their their service or their product is for everybody or this really generalized group millennial women 35 you know 25 to 34 and it's just like what does that even mean you know like so can you walk us through because you you started talking about it a little earlier and i think it complements so much what you just said around we can offer these really targeted services and offerings because we're so clear on who we serve so what advice would you have to entrepreneurs who are trying to get clear on their niche or what we call your hell yes customer, because I would say nine out of 10 times, it is way too big. I'm like, no, Amazon started with books. Now it runs your life. Like what's your books? Start with your books. You can't start with everything. You can't help everyone at first. You can't help everybody at first. And um, I think a lot of that comes down to um, 
understanding for our clients, we want to know who who is the customer you're trying to serve. And so when they know their customer well, that means we can formulate specifically to that customer when we know. And one of the questions we ask in our um, like onboarding uh, in our onboarding process is where do you see your brand going in the next five, 10 years? Because the client that is, I'm trying to build this company for generational wealth and I want my children to take it over is very different than the person who's like, I need to hit a number in year five so that I could sell this to Unilever, you know, like, and I have to hit yep. this. the path for those two brands are very different. Right. And so under, if they understand where they are trying to achieve with this brand, that is like a, a huge, uh, gold star from us. Um, and then also understanding kind of where they want their product to, to, to sit, like, are you a clean brand? Are you like, no, I just want the stuff to work. Um, are you trying to be at Sephora? Are you trying to be at Walmart? Very different things. And so when we hear people saying, oh, I want to be everywhere and I'm for everybody, that is a red flag for us as well, because then we say, you're going to have us going all over the place, trying to make a product, one product fits all. And that's not how this works. So we're ne we're never going to be able to satisfy you because you're trying to satisfy too many people. Um, mm. and also looking at resources. Um, there are some people who I've turned away because I'm like, you're too small. You don't need me. Go, here's some resources on how you can make product in your kitchen on your own. And then when you get to this point, then call us because I would rather you save your coins to really understand your business before you give them to me, right? And so- I will not work with anybody who doesn't have a certain amount of money kind of saved up and willing to invest in having a plan and how they're going to um, get that money back, right? Um, because you, you, everybody shouldn't start with a contract manufacturer. There are plenty of brands, i.e. Carol's daughter, who did just well making stuff in her kitchen for years yep. before she ever needed a manufacturer. And so understanding the difference between a client who is, hey, you have a kitchen-based business that you can do very well in before you ever need to call us. I'm not taking your money until you get to this point. Mm. And that's when you want to offload the, the responsibility of making products so that you can focus on selling products. But until you have clientele, you have nobody to sell to. So you might as well just go ahead and make the products and build your brand until it is taking away from your profitability to not be in the streets and not be spending money on marketing. That's when you call me, right? <laughs> when yes. it's higher than what you can keep up with. Um, and then also, um, you know, for us, it's, it's very much un people who understand the, the finances of this business and, how cash flow works. You know, as a manufacturer, we often are the last people who get paid. Um, and we're really trying to, and that's that hurts us as a manufacturer. And so we are also looking for true partnership and understanding that, like, hey, you buy the products at this price, you need to sell them at this price in order to make a profit. If we're if we're selling them for you to you at five dollars, you cannot sell them for seven dollars. <laughs> like that because then you don't have enough money to come back and put in another order. And so 
we want to make sure that also our clients understand the economics of what it takes to build and scale a profitable brand. And so though we have like a, a, a questionnaire kind of that people go through that kind of helps us to really understand where they are in their in, in the process of understanding where they want to be as a brand, as a company. And that allows us to kind of determine this is a good fit. This is an okay fit. This is a horrible fit. <laughs> and these are people who could be a good fit if we can get them there. And I so focusing on, on that, um, we have been able to refine and refine and refine over the years to really have a very calculated formula of what that looks like now in, in deciding who is our gold star customer. Love that. So our motto, I get shit done is fuck 4%. We say that because women own about half of businesses, but generate 4% of total revenues. And that's why we have this podcast is we want to make sure we're modeling what is possible by other women who have done it and done it on different, in different ways. I think it's very toxic that we keep, you know, hyping up one narrative or the over the other. And it's like, no, pick the journey that's in alignment with your vision of impact. And you have defied the odds of being one of the few women entrepreneurs who has scaled beyond a certain point. So based on where you're at today, what are you focused on now to get to the next level? Uh, We are focused on expansion. Um, So, you know, I've hit on it a few times we were operating at almost like a really flat level or a, a flat number revenue number really because we were like we can't fit any more machines in here <laughs> we can't fit any more inventory in here you cannot scale a product-based business if you don't have space and so now that we have space now that we've been able to invest in you know newer faster equipment um it's all about Again, revisiting how can we make it faster, higher quality at the same price, if not cheaper. And so even as we are, um, and then also reopening the, the floodgates to say, hey, brands that we couldn't work with before, hey, come over here, come look at our new shiny facility. Um, we want to work with you now, or we even have the capabilities and capacity to work with you now. And so for us, it's focusing on, it's focusing on bringing in new clients, uh, making, you know, creating more efficient processes and really learning our new equipment and space and all of that to, to, you know, scale our capabilities. Um, And then investing in our team so that they are able to do more and we can bring in other experts so that, you know, me as a CEO and, and, and my partner and other kind of high level members of our team can really go out and start doing more business development. And I feel like based off of our projections that easily doubles, if not triples our business in the next year to two years. Let's go patiently waiting. Now she's ready to take off. I love it. I love to see it. There's no turning back. (laughs) <laughs> I'm ready for you. I'm ready for it. So based on where you're focused today, how could folks listening support you in scaling that impact? Yeah. So um, the best way is to go out and buy <laughs> black owned brands, um, you know, in the hair care and skincare space, because there's a good chance that we are servicing them in one way, shape, form or capacity. 
Um, and then if you're interested in starting your own beauty brand to give us, you know, a shout out or, you know, to look into what it would take to get, bring your ideas to life and to, to really, you know, get your ideas to the shelf, as I like to say, and you can find me at sisterscientist.com, um, where you can learn more about my background, our process, and that will take you to our company website, MCed group.com that's m as in mary seed like in the ground group.com and that actually stands for mustard seed because we feel like uh as long as you have faith as small as a mustard seed uh anything is possible and so we are all about helping people to bring uh to lean in on that faith and take the next step uh to grow their ideas and believe in themselves to scale their brands to the next level so um, I want to change the aisles. I want it to be able to walk down any aisle and be like, that is a black woman. That is a black woman. That is a black woman who owns all these brands um, and that they have a place where they can do that at. And that's at MC Group. Thank you so much for listening to Get Shit Done. We hope you got the traction tips you need to grow your company on your own terms. If you want to learn more traction tips like these from Badass Women Entrepreneurs Weekly, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, queen, show us some love by rating and reviewing this podcast. This really helps us reach and serve more women like you in slaying their way to traction. And if you're looking for more support on your scaling journey, head on over to shegetsshitdone.com slash join, where you'll become a part of the movement of women entrepreneurs giving 4% the middle finger. Until next time, queen, I'm Alex Batdorf reminding you, you got this. Now go out there and get shit done.